So Matthew chapter 4 is where we're going to begin this morning. I have been doing a series called Reflection. The idea is a mirror that Jesus Christ is the one we're imitating. Jesus is our role model. Jesus is the one to whom we want our life to be like, which simply means I want to talk like Jesus. Come on, say it with me. Talk like Jesus. Say it again. Talk like Jesus. I want to act like Jesus. And I want to think like Jesus. I want to be like him. Okay, that's enough now. I'll go. We'll do a little more monologue, and then you can catch in in a minute. All right, that's what we've been talking about. Well, this morning, I want to talk about a subject that everybody can relate to that Jesus gave us an example in, and that is called temptation. Now, listen, temptation is literally, it's a trap, it's a trick that the devil uses to pull us aside. He'll use anything from, you know... Uh, alcohol, he'll, he'll use sex, he'll use offense, he'll use bitterness, unforgiveness, a love of the world. There's a million different things, but how many say, listen, I know because I fight with it every day. I mean, temptation is just out there, it's in our world. Well, Jesus faced it and he overcame it and he showed us how to do it. And I'm going to talk about uh, temptation for a couple of weeks. This morning, uh, Matthew chapter 4 is what's traditionally called the 40-day temptation. Matthew 4, verse 1, and notice this first phrase. It's just pregnant with meaning. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness or the desert to be tempted by the devil. So the Holy Spirit brought Christ into a confrontation with temptation so he could overcome it for our sakes. This happened in the desert of the wilderness, and how many know that's where the enemy wants to get you? If he can get you in a personal wilderness or desert, and he can trick you, he can destroy you. Well, verse 2, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, and this is perhaps the greatest understatement in the Bible, he was hungry. The tempter came to him. The tempter, notice a, a name for Satan. Satan has many names in the Bible. The accuser, a liar, a murderer. In this case, he's the tempter. He came to Jesus and said, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now, I want you to see, basically, turn rocks into bread. Now, how many know if Jesus did it when he fed people out of the little boy's lunch, he fed thousands, he could easily do it here. He was the Son of God, and basically Satan saying, now mind you, this is the first temptation. Jesus' first temptation was not with alcohol, drugs, sex, money, those things that most of us struggle with. It was the temptation about his personal will. Will you choose God's ways, or will you choose to do what you want to do, even though it deals with this most basic sense of food? Jesus' response to him, verse 4, it is written. He's quoting the Bible, the book of Deuteronomy. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Notice temptation in the midst of his deep desire, his, his, the thing that he wanted to have, the tempter came and Jesus literally pointed to the word of God. It happened a second time. The devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, had him stand on the highest point of the temple. I don't know how that happened. I don't know if he literally transported him or as some theologians believe, it was in his mind. But how many know it can happen? How many of the devil speaks to us in a lot of ways? He'll speak to us through people. Maybe the devil's speaking through your boyfriend or girlfriend, saying, if you love me, you will. Maybe he's speaking through your friends when they're passing the joint around the circle. Can we be candid in church? Don't, don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about now. Come on. I even know what these things are. And they're passing it around, and here's what your friends say. If you're cool, you'll do it. Now, they didn't say a word to you. This voice came in your head. If you, everybody's doing it. If you're cool, you're doing it. Come on, you want to be in the in crowd. What do you think it is? It's the tempter. 
It's the activity behind that prison fence we all live behind that the devil's trying to get you off track and trick you and mess your life up. The devil doesn't come to you and say, how would you like to be in, in the Texarkana Gazette front page in an orange Halloween costume with a number across you, with this look on your face? That's not how he comes to you. He says, it's fun. You can forget your trouble. Well, he came to Jesus, took him to the holy city. If you're the son of God, throw yourself down. The second temptation had to do with presumption. In other words, do something presuming God will get you out of it. Go ahead and get a big car note presuming God's going to pay for it without praying about it. It's written, again, and Satan misquoted the Bible here. He'll command his angels concerning you. They'll lift you up in their hands so you'll not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus now properly responds again from Deuteronomy. It is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Verse 8, again the devil took him to a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. Now, this particular test is something, again, we can all relate to. It's the temptation of the world. It's the desire for things, for power, for prestige, for money. All those things that are in the world that we deal with on an ongoing basis. Next week, we're going to talk about this, Lord willing, for the whole message. But again, if you give me this, if you, and, and, and the, let's see, show them the kingdoms of the world, all this I'll give you if you will bow down and worship me. In other words, submit your life to me, and I'll give you everything behind the fence. And notice what Jesus said, away from me, Satan. Can you say that? Away from me, Satan. Another translation says, get out of here, Satan. Message Bible says, beat it, Satan. Now, I was looking for something to be kind of catchy, a song to kind of help you relate to this. So when you face temptation, you got something else in your head. I found something. It's a throwback from the 60s. Take a peek here. It won't take but just a minute. This is what you can tell the devil when temptation comes. yourself telling the devil that hit the road jack come on say it with me hit the road jack don't come back no more no more no more no more now i'm telling you he's coming after you the question is how are you going to respond to him temptation is like a baited fish hook it looks good that that that, that fish is shy, is shimmering in the water it's the lure the top water lure it's enticing the bass but my friend it's got a hook on the end it's danger and that's what the devil wants to do he wants to trip you up he wants to make you stumble he wants to make you fall and he'll do it across the boards i mean he'll do it to listen he'll do it to uh, sophisticated people he'll do it to redneck people he'll do it to everything in between I mean, he's got a way to do it. How many know there's as much temptation at NASCAR as it is at the country club? I mean, listen, temptation is everywhere. You can put a $5 bikini or a $500 bikini on it. How many know temptation is out there? And the devil will find a way to try to get you with it. Listen, how many know Adam and Eve? And this is a little background. We're coming back to Matthew 4. How many know Adam and Eve? tempted in the Garden of Eden. We're in the mess we're in today because of Adam and Eve. It's a fact. 
They've tempted them with some secret knowledge. God's hiding something from you. If you will just give yourself to me, and here's the deal, if you'll follow me rather than following God. The most basic temptation mankind has ever faced, do what you want to do, not what God wants you to do. Do what you want to do. If you'll just do that by taking a bite of this apple, by violating God, everything will be okay. And they thought it would be okay, and the fish hook was stuck in our mouths and havoc ever since. Who is David? David in the Bible was a man after... There's not many in the Bible that have that accolade. But yet he was on his roof one night. There's a lady Bathsheba taking a bath, and David looked at her, and guess what happened? Temptation came, and rather than going back to where he should go, he went to her, and before you know it, he is splattered across the pages of history, and his household is destroyed. How about Judas in the New Testament? Christ was betrayed for 30 silver coins. Now listen, if it can happen to Adam and Eve, if it can happen to David, if it can happen to Judas, it can happen to us. And you know what we need to tell the devil when he tempts us? All right, here we go. Life at the Rock today. Hit the road, Jack. Matthew chapter 4. Let's go back and look again at this first temptation Jesus faced. And again, I think it's profound that the first temptation that he faced... Again, it's not with traditional things like you and I might struggle with on the outside, shallow things. Again, it was not, you know, gold, gals, glory. It was not those kind of things. It was the basic question is, will you do what you want to do or will you do what God wants you to do? It is the, this, where the human will interacts with, with and makes a choice. Again, the Holy Spirit led him here, verse 2, fasted 40 days and 40 nights. He's hungry. And the tempter comes and said, if you're the Son of God, Jesus, you have the ability to do this. Tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus' response was, quote the Bible and say it's written. Now, that's quite profound. How many believe that there's still power in the Word of God? There's power when you, in the middle of something, listen, I do this all the time. This little silly song I gave you there. I showed, I let my wife watch it the other night and ask her, so honey, what do you think about this in church? And middle of the night, she's doing it on her little iPad. I couldn't get it out of my head the rest of the night. I mean, I'm, I wake up in the morning saying, hit the road, Jack. But I found myself literally having to say to temptation, hit the road, see, because I don't want it as a part of my life. See, Jesus chose what he wanted to do instead of what God wanted. Now, if you don't remember another thing today, remember that. In this first classic temptation, Jesus chose what he wanted. I mean, Jesus chose what God wanted rather than what he wanted. This is deeper. This is, this is the root of all the things that try to pull people. It's the root of it. Will I choose what I want or what God's want? Now listen, the Father's will was for Jesus to be hungry for this period of time. He fasted. The Spirit led him, and he fasted. Now, God's not trying to punish Jesus. Anytime we see in the Bible, in, in crazy modern American theology, if there's hardship or suffering involved, it must not be God. Can I tell you, not true. Jesus it was led, and it was God's will for a period of time for him to be hungry with no food. But to submit to Satan's suggestion and satisfy his hunger would have been contrary to God's will. What, listen, what Satan wanted him to do was to act independently of God's will. And that is exactly what the devil wants to do today. He wants you and I to act independently of God's will. He wants us to do our own thing. He wants us to make our own rules. You know, uh, how about for marriage? How are you going to approach marriage? Is marriage going to be a lifelong commitment? 
that you've made in the context of the blessing of your parents with godly counsel involved, recognizing that you're equally yoked with a believer? Or are you going to do what they do in the movies, see somebody that looks good, sleep with them today, marry them in three days, and just say, we just can't believe it, but we're so happy now. How are you going to approach life when they no longer meet your needs? When they no longer, you know, fit in the clothes they did when you married him. When he no longer is as buff as he used to be. I mean, listen, at some age, you just cannot go to the gym for two hours a day. I, I mean, it just, at some point, life is going to change. If my wife had married me for my little cute afro I used to have, I'd be on the divorce courts a long time ago. Am I going to live God's way or am I going to live my way? See, that's the root of this first temptation that Jesus faced. I mean, it's the same thing Adam and Eve faced, but they messed up. Satan wants to tempt us to ignore what God wants and do what we want. See, it could be anything. Listen, but what you do with your money. Last night in our offering, my wife and I gave our tithe. We paid our tithe, and I showed it to her. I mean, listen, your tithe is a lot of money. If you make 100, 10 bucks is a lot. If you make 1,000, 100 is a lot. If you make 10,000, it's a lot of money. And you could look at that and you could say, you know what? <laughs> this is a dress. Uh, this is a car payment. This is two car payments. This is a rent house payment. And, and choices come all the time. Well, you know what I found? If I will do what God says, if I will choose, I will be a whole lot happier in life than I'm doing my own thing. Come on. If I will, if I will respond to my marriage, if I'll respond to my enemies. What did Jesus say to do to our enemies? We're supposed to... Pray for them and bless those that curse us. Come on, then despitefully use us. Or you can keep it inside and be angry and bitter for days and months and years and weeks, and you become a bitter person. I'm choosing to go God's way. And that's the whole basis of this message. Because what Satan wants you to do is write your own rules based on how you feel. Write your own rules the way that you think about it. What other people have to say. You know, maybe you bought into the lie of the world that says, listen, I was born gay, and because I have these gay feelings, that must mean it's okay. Well, listen, the rest of us were born, you know, we were born to lust after someone of the opposite sex, not someone of the same sex. But just because you have that feeling does not mean you have to act on it. And certainly because you have it does not mean that it is legitimate. Some of you are looking at me like, come on. Listen, if you're going to get out of bed on Sunday and come to church, you deserve to be told the truth. The devil wants to pull you off the pathway. He wants to pull you on a path to do wrong. I, I, I love to turkey hunt, and, and, and I found this place. I uh, can't tell you exactly where it is, but I'll tell you within a 20,000-acre radius. It's above the Queen. There's a national forest, and there's a, I think, warehouse or somebody owns all that land. That's all I'm going to tell you. But what I will tell you is there's a main road that goes through the property, miles of road. And if you turn off that road, they're not marked, and you don't know where you are, I'm telling you, you can get lost like that and not know where you are. Your cell phone doesn't work. You're stuck. That is exactly what the devil wants to do with you. God wants to get you from where you are to where he wants you to be, and Satan is all the time saying, come over here. Pull off the road, and once you pull off the road, there's another little side road saying, it's going to be real good down here. And then there's a lake over here saying, come on over this way and see the lake. And then over this way. And before you know it, you are so lost and so in trouble, you don't know how to get out. 
That is exactly what the devil wants to do with you with temptation. And I want to encourage you, friends, there's only one thing you need to say to the devil. You know what it is? Matthew chapter 4. Now, let me tell you something else. It's worth, if you don't write anything down, write this down. This is the most basic element of the Christian faith, but it's missed in most of American Christianity today. Jesus wants us to follow him and do his will. Can I just say that again? Jesus wants us to follow him. American Christianity is filled with believers, but I wonder how many followers. Because followers are imitators. They're like the teacher. They're like the master. And somehow we have been offered this faulty theology that says I can have a Savior but not a Lord. Now, I, I listen, I know God forgives, and I know we're not saved by good works. We can't work our way into heaven. But how many know truly saved people have good works? True believers are followers. And could I even say this pastorally? If a person is not a follower... I don't mean if you've stumbled. I don't mean if you're back. But if you're not a follower of Christ by the general tenor of your life, you may not be a genuine believer because Jesus said you'll know them by their fruits. And it's almost like, listen, in American Christianity today, the only way you can get a person to make a step for Christ is have everybody else bow their heads and nobody looks around and you have no commitment whatsoever to make. Wave your little finger at the preacher and you're going to heaven. Something is wrong with that. Again, I'm not minimizing grace and faith, but I'm telling you, if, there's not a tr if, if the fruit of repentance is not operating in our life, come on, a changed life. Jesus wants not just believers. He wants followers. Now, Matthew 4, 18, Jesus saw Peter, his brother Andrew. This is Christianity 101. Peter and Andrew, they were casting a net into the lake, and Jesus said, come and say it again, follow me. That's what it means to be a Christian. Christianity is more than just a set of rules. I'm not following the rules. Now, the rules are, are like signs on a highway, but I'm, Jesus is in the lead car, and I'm following him. And the rules tell me when I need to slow down, when I need to speed up. Come on. W what exit I could take if I need gas, but as soon as I get gas, I need to get back on the road. See, Christianity is about following him. And they left their nets and they followed him. You see, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, which simply means this. Jesus said, follow me and I'll give you a new purpose for your life. And can I tell you, every one of us in this room is searching for happiness. Come on, everybody said? We are. I'm searching for happiness in a relationship. Listen, I don't want to be dumped and thrown away. I don't want to be treated like I'm some piece of meat. I, I, I don't want to be used. I don't want to be abused. I want to be loved. I want to be cherished. I want to have money to be able to pay my bills. I want to have some money to be able to do some good things in life. I want to have a car and I want to have a house. At some level, I want to, I want to live a, a, a happy life. Can I tell you, friends, you'll never be happier than when you're in the middle of the will of God. You can have all these things. You can have the hottest guy in Texas or Arkansas or wherever you're from. You know, you can have the guy, you can have the girl, you can have the house, you can have the car, you can have the job. Listen, you can have an unlimited amount on your visa card and pay it every month. But if Christ is not in the center of your world, happiness will be elusive. It will be like holding water in your hands. You can hold some, but sooner or later it seeps through the cracks. And before you know it, you've got to get more and more and more. Listen. You can be just as happy in a pair of shoes that you buy from Kmart
unless you have narrow feet. Now, I have A-width feet, and I can't... I'm just telling you, you may think, well, he has nice shoes. I've got to wear the things for 10 years. Just ask all the ladies that critique me all the time. That, nothing to do with the message, but I'm just telling you, you can be as happy, okay, in a 10-year-old pair of shoes as you can in something that you bought wherever and paid up to how many thousands of dollars for? Listen, I'm not knocking $1,000 shoes. You won't fill your closet up with them. But I'm telling you, you're not going to be happy with expensive shoes. Because those people in Hollywood are changing the styles on you every year. Somebody is changing the rules on you just when you filled your closet up. Come on. I mean, how many hours can your husband work? I mean, at some point, you're not going to be happy unless you're doing the will of God because he has the ability to give you joy, come on, peace, contentment in life. And I'm telling you, happiness is found in following Christ, not fighting against him. John chapter 6. Now, Jesus didn't just tell us to, you're going to follow me and you just, just do it and stuff. No. He gave us an example. Look what Jesus said. John 6, 38. Jesus said, and I want you to read this with me. I came down to, from heaven to... I came from heaven. I landed behind the fence in the, amongst the prisoners of war to do what God wanted me to do, not what I wanted to do. And let me say this to you. Sometimes it's hard. Popular Christianity. Listen, you want to fill the church building up? Just tell them all you have to do is believe in Jesus and they'll never have a problem. Just tell me, preacher, that I don't have to suffer, that I don't have to have a difficulty or hardship. I can't tell you that. Je look at Jesus, Matthew 26. Now, mind you, he's following God, doing what God wants. But he went with his followers to Garden of Gethsemane. This is before his crucifixion. He fell to the ground and he prayed. Let's keep going here. He fell to the ground. He's praying, Father, if it's possible, don't give me this cup of suffering. And then what does it say? Well, you'd fail if you were in third grade reading out loud together. Do what you want, not what I want. Now look, Jesus is in the middle of this thing. He's lived, out, he's, he's lived among these people and he knows what's coming and he knows he's got a few difficult hours. But you know what the writer of Hebrews says? Hebrews 12 says it was for the joy that was before him that Christ endured the cross, come on, despised the suffering and shame and today is seated at the right hand of God. And here's what I want to tell you, follower of Christ. Some days you'll face difficulty, but the difficulty will melt away like wax one day. Some days you'll face hardship for Christ. There may be some suffering for you. There may be some sacrifice for you. There may be something that God would have you give up for him. But one day, my friend, your basket's going to overflow. Come on. One day your cup is going to spill over. Do you think any martyr in the New Testament era is sad they face their cross today? Do you think Stephen, if he could live his life again, would have done anything but what he did? Can you imagine the testimony of Stephen, the deacon? He is about to be stoned. He's preached to these people. They're throwing rocks at him, and he says, Father, forgive them for what they do. Some of us ride down the interstate and wave our middle finger at somebody who pulls in front of us. Forgive them for throwing rocks at me. Saul is standing right there. 
And the next chapter we see Saul is converted to Christ. I suggest to you it is because of the witness that he saw in Stephen's life that this was not just a religious man. This was a man in vital relationship with God following after him. And then Saul, listen, becomes Paul, writes two-thirds of the New Testament, and Christianity goes into the entire world because of Paul the Apostle. But Stephen followed Christ. Come on. Experienced a little hardship, but it gave way to eternal glory. Give the Lord a good hand. So I'm telling you, anything that God would ask you to do, any money that you would ever get, you know, some of us could be the solution to the rest of that building in Haiti. They got to pay for the rest of it. They got to ship it there, and then they got to put chairs. But if I do that, then I can't. How many have a wish list? Let me see your hand here. Come on, let's get real. Okay, I'm going to preach to the liars as well as the honest people today. I have this, I have this dream that, that one day I have this little, little getaway house, and it's, it's this little cabin, and it's real rustic, and it's by a cypress slough, and I walk out the door for ducks and turkeys, and, 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 and maybe that'll happen one day. But maybe it won't. What if God said, take the turkey house, come on, and invest it in the kingdom? But Jesus, I want it <laughs> real bad. Well, you can have it. And I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just telling you sometimes God asks us to do something. When you're in the passion of a moment, He asks you to walk away if it's not your husband or wife. Why would you... Why would you? Satan is saying, come on, let's ride down this road. Come on, it's going to be fun. Big turkey's back here. Come on, come on, come on. And God says, stay the course with me. Stay the course. Don't write your own rules. You'll never be happier than when you're in the will of God. And it is the first example that Jesus gave us in this great temptation is the first thing Satan came to him and says, do what you want to do, not what God wants you to do. You know what Jesus told him? Come on, hit the road, Jack. There's no Ray Charles on that one, but, but that's what he told him. Let me close with this. Matthew chapter 16. Doing what, God's wor- what God wants will be worth it. A couple minutes and we'll be dismissed and go home. But I want you to listen to me for this, this passage of Scripture. Because life is all about choices. Whatever level I want to live the Christian life. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. I'm going to read this from three different translations, these three verses. I'm just going to read one translation per verse. But... but to peg the scriptures, you've heard it most of your life. If you want to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Now, listen to the message Bible starts out. Jesus went to work on his disciples. Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Let me give you a little picture. Maybe you can relate to this. Every person in the world, listen, deep down, they believe in God. No such thing as atheists. The Bible says there's some fools. They've said in their heart there is no God. There's people that act like they believe it, but everybody pretty much looks at creation. Everyone that takes an honest look at what they're discovering with DNA and our genetic codes and all. Listen, we're smart enough to know that everything didn't come from nothing. There's a yearning and a longing in their heart to know that my life has to have some meaning to it. See, why do you think these people are killing themselves all across America? Why do you think they're just living these hopeless, hapless lives? Because the world has lied to them and tells them, listen, there's no real purpose for your life. Deep down, we know it is. Deep down, every know, everybody knows that there is a God and that He's real. Natural theology, the natural world reveals it to us. Imagine a believer in God. 
God's on the side of the road. He's driving their car. Mind you now, the Bible says you've got to, you're not in the driver's seat. I am. You pull over to the side of the road, and, and uh, God gets in the car in the back seat. Well, you need him sometimes. Come on. You've got to go to the doctor, and the doctor says, listen, I found a lump. I want to biopsy it. Come on, atheist. What you going to do? Now, I thank God for your doctor, but I'm telling you, you can't get over that fence, and you know there's a problem. He's in the back seat. Whew. Benign. I'm okay. Sooner or later in life, you, find, you, you come to a place in life, and I think this is where, what it means to your journey towards Christ. You're kind of looking in your rearview mirror, and you see Christ's eyes. And they're not angry eyes at you. They're longing eyes because your relationship is, is, is just out of kilter. It's out of sorts. He didn't belong in the back seat. And you kind of get some conviction going and say, I want to be closer to God. Well, lo and behold, you pull your car to the side of the road. Well, actually, maybe you don't even pull the side of the road. You're just driving, and Jesus crawls through the seats. Come on. <laughs> and, and he gets up next in the passenger seat. And, you, you know, you can shake his hand, and you can, you know, talk to him a little bit, and you can be a little, you can even rub shoulders a little bit. But you're still driving, you know. If you want a hamburger, you pull over. There's a McDonald's sign. Or, you know, if you want to go down those turkey roads, you kind of go and say, Now, Jesus, I want you to go with me. Close your eyes, Jesus. Don't look. Going to the movies. I'm not knocking movies. I'm just telling you, where's Jesus in your life? But after living like that a ways, now listen, you can be a Christian and have Jesus right next to you. Know him as your Savior. But again, you're looking at those eyes. And when you look in his eyes, he knows it and you know it, that the relationship's not the way it should be. It's like a parent telling a child what to do. It's like a child telling a parent what to do. Something's wrong. They both love each other, but it needs to be adjusted. And you realize that one day. Some of you are realizing that as I preach today, that you're realizing that Christ doesn't belong next to me. You pull your car to the side of the road this time, put it in park, turn off the engine, take out the keys, you get out of your door, you tell Jesus, wait right there. You go around the car, and you go and you open the door just like courtesy should. Listen, girls, marry somebody that opens the door for you. Did you hear that, guys? You open the door and say, Jesus, I'd like for you to be in the front seat. He gets out, you shut the door behind him. You get in front of him, you go to the driver's side, you open the door for him and say, Jesus, I want you to be in control of my life. I'm tired of, I, I don't want you to just follow me where I go. I want to start following you. He gets in the car, you give him the keys, you run back around and get in and say, okay, now let's live life together. That's the way life is meant to be lived. So this picture of take up your cross, deny yourself, follow, is missing it. You're in for the ride of your life, friend, and for the life of your, that, that you've intended to be. But he doesn't stop there. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me. I'll show you how. For whoever is bent on saving his, this is the amplified, temporal life. In other words, nothing here is permanent. Nothing. Whoever is bent on just living for himself for temporary comfort and security, you're going to lose eternal life. But whoever loses his life, in other words, follows Christ, gives him the keys, puts him first, you may lose a little comfort and security. For his sake, you're going to find life everlasting. So here's the choice. Do you want something that life, the world has to offer for a few months or years or days? Or do you want what Christ has to offer for eternity? He asked the question, verse 26, What do you benefit if you gain the whole world? Say it with me, but is anything worth more than your soul?
Now listen, Satan wants to tell you, forget that. Write your own rules. Do your own thing. Take the turn when you want to turn it. He is lying to you. Your long-term happiness is not going to be found with him. Your long-term happiness is going to be found, come on, with your heavenly Father in eternal glory. So the next time Satan, the tempter, comes and starts lying to you and tricking you and testing you, what are you going to tell him? I'm done. Can you do that? You are a professional music leader. Come on. You are sorry. Come on. Come on. I am sorry. <laughs> you do a great job. Give Pastor Nick a good hand. We love you. But Ray Charles, you're not. I know what you're thinking. Neither am I either, but that's okay. Hey, this is great today, wasn't it? We're going to do it next week, too. We're going to talk about temptation. But I'm telling you, friends, you can get over it. You can get through it. Now listen, give me just a serious moment. I want to close in prayer with you today. I wish it was as easy as just saying hit the road. And I'm telling you, I've said that myself two or three times in the last couple days. I wish it was as easy as just saying it, but sometimes you need some spiritual power to do it. How many know that? You know, listen, do you, do you think a meth addict can just say hit the road dealer and don't you come back no more and it's going to work? But do you believe that greater is he that is in me, come on, than he that is in the world? Do you believe that the power of the living Christ... Come on, everybody sit down now, and I want you all to just stay with me just a second. I'm going to close in prayer. Here's what I want you to know from the Lord's Prayer. Do you know what the Lord told us to pray every day? Put the Scripture on the screen. The Lord told us to pray this prayer. That's an old one. The Lord told us to pray this prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Why do we pray that? Because we need spiritual power, not just willpower. Willpower alone will not fix what's broken. But you get willpower and you get spirit power. I want to tell you, God can help make the crooked thing straight. I don't care how far off the road you've gotten, God can put you back on the road. And we'd be our honor to pray with you today. In just a moment, we're gonna, our, prayer, our altars are going to be open for prayer. We'll pray about anything. You may, you may have brought some pressures to church this morning, some troubles. You've got big decisions out in the world. Let somebody pray for you. We can help you this morning with God's help. But maybe this tempting, temptation thing has been real. You know when the Holy Spirit's talking. When the Holy Spirit's talking to me, I have two emotions. One emotion makes me want to run out the door, and one wants me to run to God. I, I want to encourage you, if something has got a hold of your life, and you need God's power to help you, to add to your willpower, let us pray for you today. Listen, you can walk away from it. But maybe when I was preaching this morning about Christ being in the driver's seat, maybe that really hit you today. For some of us here, the real issue in our life is, will I surrender my life to Christ? For some, God may be in the back seat and you're not a Christian. And you literally may need to surrender your life. That's where it starts, following Christ, surrendering your life to Him. You may be a believer this morning and Christ is kind of next to you, but God spoke to you when I illustrated about getting out of the seat and putting Christ in the driver's seat. And you may want to make a step to Christ, surrendering your life to the Lordship of Jesus today. Let us pray with you today. Something powerful happens when people Go ahead and stand to your feet this morning. We're going to close with a worship song, and our prayer team is coming right now. And if you need prayer for anything this morning, you come. Need to surrender your life? You come. Need God's power for temptation? You come this morning. Need prayer for anything? You let us stand with you. 
because God is here for you. Come on, sing it, Pastor. He is jealous for me. His love's like a hurricane, and I am a tree. 